Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. you missed it before, I am Sarah Ewing Merrill, lead pastor here at Hope Gateway, and she and her are my pronouns. We are in the third week of our series, Queering Genesis, focusing on Joseph. And two weeks ago, Ophelia told us the story of Jacob and Esau. And last week, Courtney told us the story of Jacob's favorite son, Joseph and the gift of Ketone Passim that pissed his brothers off. Courtney told us that according to, queer, to the queer interpretation of this passage, the Ketone Passim is reasonably translated as princess dress, particularly because Tamar, David's daughter, King David, is the only other person in the whole Bible to wear a Ketone Passim. Yes we are taking a non-traditional interpretation of scripture during the series. Christians have somehow acquired the bad habit of believing that one interpretation of telling the story is right and no others exist. Our Jewish siblings, however, from whom we have borrowed these scriptures, have a healthier practice, in my view. They embrace discussion and debate over the scriptures which includes distinct and varied points of view. And they even record these discussions and have a name for it, Midrash. Creative explorations to possible answers that arise from the text. Today, we are going to continue the same story which follows after Joseph is gifted a princess dress and which shares, and after he shares the stories of his dreams with his family in a non-strategic way of an arrogant 17-year-old, which makes his brothers hate him all the more. Today's story is a story of surprise and betrayal that might feel a little more familiar this week than it did last week because of our own lived experience over the last few days. So hear this story from the book of Genesis in the 37th chapter, beginning in verse 12, and I am reading from a version called The Voice. About this time, Joseph's brothers went north towards Sechem in search of a better pasture to their father's flocks. Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come on, then I will send you out to, to them to see how they are doing. Joseph responded, I'm ready, Father. Get going then. See if they're doing all right and make sure the flocks are well. When you get back, give me a report. With Israel, with that, Israel sent Joseph out to the valley of Hebron 
When he came to the area around Sechem, a man found him wandering in the field. The man asked him what he was looking for. Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they, where they are pasturing our flock. The man responded, they've already gone. I heard them say they were going to Dotham. So Joseph hurried off and followed his brothers to Dotham. They saw him coming, even though he was still a long way off. Before he was near enough to hear them, they conspired to kill him. The brothers said to each other, oh, here comes the great dreamer. Let's kill him and throw his body into one of the pits. Then we can tell everyone a wild animal killed and devoured him. We'll see what becomes of his stupid dreams. I'm going to pause there for a second. Maybe they spotted him far off because of his bright, shiny princess dress. Maybe seeing it enraged them and led them into this crime of passion. Or maybe this wasn't the first time they had considered the idea of killing Joseph. I can imagine that they wished Joseph dead many times. But maybe they started to scheme and imagine how it might be possible to eliminate him. Some scholars suggest that maybe they traveled three days from their father just to make killing Joseph more possible. Was this their end game? Had killing him become their obsession? Did they think they were creating their ideal world by eliminating him? Questions I have. Continuing. When Reuben heard the plan, he tried to help Joseph. Reuben said, let's not kill him. We don't need to shed any blood to be free of him. Let's just toss him into some pit here in the wilderness. We don't need to lay a hand on him. Reuben thought perhaps he could secretly come back later and get Joseph out of the pit. Take him home to their father before any more harm came to him. The brothers agreed. When Joseph arrived, they ripped his robe off, the fancy colorful robe he always wore that his father had made for him. And they threw him into the pit. Now this pit happened to be an empty cistern. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Soon they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelite traders approaching from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with gum, balm, and fragrant resin. And they were on their way to Egypt with their goods. Judah said to his brothers, what profit will it be for us if we just kill our brother and conceal the crime? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites instead. We won't have to lay a hand on him then. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. How high and mighty of him, right? All of the brothers agreed. As the Midianite traders were passing by, they brought Joseph up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for about silver, the usual price of young male slaves. The traders set off with Joseph in the direction of Egypt. Now, Reuben had not been around when the caravan came by. So when they said all of the brothers agreed, 
wasn't all the brothers because Reuben wasn't there. So when Reuben came back to the sister later and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothing in agony and despair. He went back to his brothers. The boy is gone. What do I do now? What am I supposed to tell father? Was Reuben trying to maneuver the situation to improve it? This is my commentary as the oldest. But does he become an accomplice because he didn't actually stand against his brothers? Continuing. The brothers took Joseph's fancy colorful robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped it in the blood. Then they took the special robe to their father. Here's a question for you. Why was it that none of the brothers wanted the fancy coat for themselves? If it was such a coveted item, then why would they destroy it? Was it because it was indeed a princess dress and none of them would be caught dead in it? Joseph's brother said to his father, their father, we found this father. Tell us if you think it's Joseph's robe. There's a little manipulating question, isn't it? Yes, Laura. Yep. Yeah, but would you sell your, your sibling for some money? No. <laughs> Good. That's the right answer. This, so Israel said, this is my son's robe. A wild animal must have killed and eaten him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to shreds. He believes the lie. Then Jacob wailed in agony. Israel and Jacob are the same person. Referred to as two different names. Then Jacob wailed in agony, tore his clothes with depth of emotional pain only a father could feel upon losing a child. He dressed in sackcloth and mourned his son for a long time. All of his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I will go on to the grave grieving for my son. This is how deeply Joseph's father grieved for him. Meanwhile, now here's the little twist in the plot. Meanwhile, the Midianites arrived in Egypt and sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officers and the captain of the guard. Dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned for next week. You might think that both Jacob and Joseph should have been wiser, more vigilant. They should have seen this day coming and known the dangers and acted in accordance with the realities. They should have seen the signs and known the threat that the brothers posed to Joseph. Maybe. I've been saying to myself this week that I should have known the dangers. We should have seen the signs. We should have acted earlier to change the course of history. We should have known that when the Christian right became obsessed with making abortion illegal and making guns accessible to all, 
everywhere at all times, that if we weren't vigilant, we would arrive at this day. I have a confession to make. I didn't think that those who organized the March for Life every year in DC wielded the power that they did. I didn't imagine that they could turn back time or even worse. I was even holding out hope that after the leaked documents from the Supreme Court this spring that somehow things could go a different way. Maybe it was self-protection. Maybe it was an aim at blissful ignorance. But it hit me like a gut punch on Friday when the decision was released. And I don't know what to do with my anger and my grief and my rage as they were all exploding in me. And it's not just abortion rights being taken away, but the Supreme Court, by the Supreme Court, but gun rights being given when they have been illegal for 100 years, and potentially making environmental regulations illegal in a decision yet to be released. And then there are the fears about what might come next for the LGBTQ community and other minority communities because of this vigilante court. In the midst of these last few days, I came across a quote from Prentice Hemphill, who is a therapist, somatics teacher, and facilitator, political organizer and writer, and founder of the Embodiment Institute. Prentice does all of their work through an embodied approach ensuring that our intentions and ideas can be lived out and practiced in our lives through our bodies. Here's the quote. There's a frenzy that happens in these moments. The pit churning in my own stomach is panic. I realize that somehow I carried on each day underestimating the determination and depravity we face, the cruelty. All I can say now is feel it. When you can, and with others, face the fear of this unknown, this timeline unfolding, shake and despair, and when you can, remember that we each and together are powerful. Our commitment makes us more so. Our strategy is the path. Our action, our love, It's not your panic that unnerves those opposed to freedom, but your dedication to what is bigger and more true than their fear.
may we remember that we each and together are powerful and our commitment makes us more so. May we work for freedom with dedication to what is bigger and truer than their fear. Joseph has been sent to Egypt, but this is not the end of his story. It is only the beginning. May this be the beginning of a new story for us as well. May it be so. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.